0: You know, like right before you go on vacation, the last thing you do is clean the house because you know, oh, you know, you know, the nicest part about coming back from vacation is a clean house where you don't have to worry about it and the dishes aren't stinking and the laundry's mostly done and you just have to kind of dump your stuff and settle back into that last few moments before the rest of your life kicks back in. Yeah, it's kind of like that. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. This podcast has one simple goal to change the conversation around recruiting, employer brand, and hiring. Simple as that. The only way we can do that is by making this a 100% no-pitch zone, meaning no one's making any money, no one's giving any money, nobody's sponsoring anything. So please come join us, come learn, come engage in this conversation, come grow our industry with me. Uh, if you want to talk to me, I'm on Twitter, at the War for Talent, or you can look at our website, thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, let's get to it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Welcome to Talent Taloncast. Thanks so much for listening. As always, this is episode 85. I know. I can't believe it either. We're on our way to 100 this year, but I'm ne- taking a quick summer break just because, and this is the <laughs> only reason I'm doing this, is because I want to make sure none of these are duds. I want to make sure that every single one of these podcasts has something useful, valuable, interesting, useful, uh, 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 insightful, I don't know, patting myself in the back here a little too hard, I guess, but something that is not a complete and total waste of your time. And I always worry that I'm either being redundant or i said this before, or am I, you know, treading over well trodden ground and whatever. So I just want to make sure that I take a little break, make sure, you know, regroup a little bit and make sure I'm doing great episodes. So uh, before I get into this episode, which is a definitely a special episode, quick housekeeping, I'm going to be at Social Recruiting Strategies Conference in Austin in August. Come say hello. I will be the second to last. I will be doing the luggage. Event. It's going to be fantastic. i going to talk about the power of headlines, subject lines, and whatnot. So, definitely want to show up for that if you were not going, if you hadn't already planned on being on attending. I mean, it's August in Austin. How can you go wrong? Bring lots of water. Anyway, um, I was on the Career Arc uh, webinar last week. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'll make sure to throw a link to the recording in the show notes so you can listen to that. Uh, my favorite feedback is that I gave too much information. Okay, you're right. I should give less information. That's what we should do here. who boy. Anyway, so uh, any other housekeeping? Any other housekeeping? I will definitely be back by the first week of September for sure. Uh, maybe we'll, maybe I, I will be unable to not hit the microphone in the two months between now and then, and maybe I'll throw in a special one. But for right now, let's get to it. So here's the deal. Uh, my process, if that's the right word, is you know, in general life, I'm in a meeting, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm walking down the street, I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm thinking a random thought, and I think, oh, huh, that's interesting, I email it to myself, and the subject line is just pod. So I always remember, I just have to search the word pod, subject subject line equals pod, and there's a list of all the ideas of, you know, just kind of, some of them are really good ideas, I think, and some of them are just half-assed, harebrained, sure, shot in the dark ideas. And every week before I step up to the microphone, I go, kind of skim them and go, oh yeah, that's the one I want to talk about, and away we go. The thing is, I got a lot of stuff here, and I went and scraped all my unused pod notes, (laughs) and that's what our episode's going to be. There's going to be a lot of stuff. I do not know if this will take 20 minutes or take an hour and 20 minutes. I have no idea what's about to happen, but I'm just going to run through them as fast as... I can come up with them and see them. Uh, I'm gonna give as much commentary as I think they need, and you can decide if they're useful. And if they are, say something, and maybe we'll do a full on deep dive on it. Otherwise, hey, it's an interesting idea. We should think about it. First one, and this is probably reverse chronological based on how I'm collecting these things. The note is, is employee advocacy a social strategy or an employer brand strategy? I bring that up because I was definitely reading Jordan Summers, uh book on employee advocacy, which I think you should absolutely pick up. It's five whole bucks. It's worth twice its weight, if not three times in in value. Uh, definitely worth a read. Absolutely. Um, but It it, it approached employee advocacy from a social selling strategy primarily, which is funny because the man runs the employer brand podcast, and you would have assumed it was coming from an employer brand direction. And it really, the employer brand stuff came in afterwards. And it really hit me that, you know, as an employer brand person, I think of everything through that lens is is advocacy a social strategy or is it a brand strategy? And it's a fine line between the two, but it's interesting when it pops up and, and shows itself to you in a different light. If I'm always looking at it from a brand strategy, Strategy perspective, and someone starts to talk about it from a social strategy perspective. It's interesting how it's different. It's interesting how it's proposed. It's not so much a um, how do we tell our authentic self, but it's about reaching out and building networks and building audiences, which is useful from a brand standpoint. But it's that that network effect isn't the most important thing. It's about the it's the difference between what's the most important part: the story you tell or the audience you tell it to. And it's an interesting kind of split. So I just. Brought that up, see how fast we're going to do these i'm going to grind through a lot of these. The next one, the slow employer brand I some of these ideas did not pan out and there's a reason why they did not show up into full episodes here uh, so it's interesting that a big employer brand launch you, you've seen them right you, you you've been part of them probably or you've you know you know heard about them where they spend uh, six, five, six figures, and agency fees, and they bring in professional branders, or they hire people, and they do research, and they do a lot of stuff, and there's this big, ta-da, here is our brand, and that's amazing. The problem, I think, is is that if a brand's job is to convey and be a reflection of who you already are, what would it be like if someone walked up to you and said, ta-da, you're a straight white female? Uh, Yes, I am. Ta-da! You're a college graduate. Yeah, that was like 20 years ago. What are we talking about? Ta-da! You are named Todd. Well, yeah. Why is it just seems kind of a weird thing to reveal? Hey, this is who we've always been. Uh, So it's awkward. And, And so doing, you're kind of opening yourself up for rejection. You're opening yourself up to say, hey everybody, look at this thing and it's, you know how it is, it's ego driven and I know because I'm almost all ego driven that that big reveal is, hey everybody, look at the amazing work I or we did. Look at this. Thanks for paying us. Look at our justifying our salaries and ta-da! Here's the thing. Here's your employer brand. What if instead we talked about and revealed employer brands slowly on purpose? What if we said, hey I know your name's Todd, but I'm going to keep calling you Todd. That's your employer brand. Your employer brand is Todd. And every time I use Todd, and in fact, that i if you notice, maybe I'm using the word Todd a lot more than I might have been before, it's because I'm reinforcing this brand that we've always already known. What if that's how you roll out an employer brand? What if instead of saying, ta-da, it's this thing, it's about quietly starting to make it a tagline on the website and a tagline on the PowerPoint presentations and stickers and uh, whiteboard jokes and um, email signatures and, 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 and. And instead of ta dying and here's a a laundry list of all the different ways you're going to use this brand new magical employer brand that you're supposed to have known all along, it's about slowly kind of getting into it like a bathtub, right? You're just slowly sinking into it so that you're not shocked. It's about, oh, it's about this is who we've always all this is who we've always been, right? If I'm showing you who you've always been, why not just slowly amplify what we now know to be true? And just slowly start tuning out the things that no longer align. Right? What if that's a very different way, a slow play in revealing an employer brand? Next one. Okay, these go in random order. Um, Assessment solutions, and I think I have a few people who listen who really like or in some cases sell assessment solutions. And I'm not going to knock them for saying they're stupid or bad. They're not. I like taking assessments. They're kind of fun. Um, Whether they're based in science or not, and I quibble on the concept of science in a lot of these, they seem to be aligned to a simple idea that you can apply an assessment solution to help you hire in bulk, right? That you're hiring based on a spec of a role. Hey, we're hiring a salesperson, so need the the following seven criteria and following eight traits or whatever that you're building from a spec sheet what you think a salesperson should be. Now, 80, maybe 90, maybe even 95% of the time, that's probably true, that almost all great salespeople are that spec sheet. But is that always the case? Are you missing something? What if us focusing on assessments is forcing you, is, I guess the question is, are you revealing more good salespeople in this example than you're rejecting who might have been good salespeople because they didn't meet the spec? Right? It's a lot like saying, look, I found a couple of um, people you might have missed because they were diamonds in the rough, but I'm throwing out these other diamonds in the rough because they don't fit, but they could have been amazing. Has there been any studies on that to say how much are you you rejecting versus how much are you finding? Is the return on the investment that much more? Because I think it really does focus around this idea of hiring in bulk. That you know, you are not; it's not able to find weirdos and artists, right? It's not able to find people who are obsessed with ideas, people who are motivated towards amazing success and who work on the weekends and care about these ideas so much that they do stupid things like start podcasts and don't shut up about them. isn't that what we really want? Right? Aren't we moving to a world in which, and I've said this before, if, if all the hard problems, or all the simple problems are automated and all the bots kind of can control some of the stuff, and we've got software processes in the back end making sure we don't do anything stupid, then all the easy problems are solved. That means that all the hard problems are left. And only the hard problems are left. There are no easy problems left to solve. And if you're looking to solve hard problems wouldn't you rather have a weirdo or an artist or an obsessive or I mean someone who's an outlier than someone who is the cookie cutter of what you think you're supposed to hire assessment solutions assume you need to find cookie cutter and what I think happens is you're optimizing for what you think the job is today rather than building something that's future-proof right I'd rather have in my marketing team, I'd rather have 10 Seth Godins who are weird and trying new things and willing to, to fail and, and, and coming up with crazy ideas and they don't look productive because half the time they see me staring out a window or something versus 20 kind of grinded out marketers who are doing the same thing over and over and over again. One is about searching for a future that you're inventing as you go. The other is about optimizing and eking out the most you can today. Now... I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying long term, one seems more obviously better than the other. All right. Okay, Uh, this is only number four. We're gonna be here a bit. Follow the leader. What every career site needs thinking will ensure that no one knows the difference between you and any other company, right? A sure sign that you don't have any confidence in your company or brand is to say, what does Google do? What does Target do? What does AT&T do? And say, great, we'll do that too. And I hate that thinking. Isn't an employer brand, supposed to be about who you are, not about what's supposed to work. If you're looking for an employer brand and you say cookie cutter, aren't you essentially one of a million cookies? And how do you say you're different in that regard? That's that's the thing that makes me crazy. Now I now know a couple of professional employer brand agency type people and I love it that they don't approach things with a cookie cutter mentality. The problem I think is HR loves cookie cutters. (laughs) They love them. Uh, They're probably the ones people who use that spritz gun in Christmas time to make those cookies. The spritz gun that never quite worked, at least in my house. Um, They wanted the same. They wanted the same over and over again. They wanted replicable... Replicable? replace no yeah think of replicables right replicable results that they knew if they did x they would always get y except somehow every time they did x y would come back but one percent less than they thought it would and it would get one percent less every single time they did it there would be that kind of um cost uh, you know doing it over and over again would get less and less return right that's that's no way to think about employer brand all right race to the bottom now some of these i kind of went what did i mean by that but I know what I meant by this one. This is, um, and this comes from listening to the podcast Exponent, which by the way, if you don't, it's the best business strategy, high-level business strategy podcast in existence right now. Uh, Ben and James do an amazing job talking about some very serious um, uh, business strategy. Granted, they only focus on the big tech players but you can extrapolate and understand how they're seeing that one industry and say, oh, how does that apply to any other industry including ours? And one of the things they talk about is a race towards the bottom and that is you start to optimize and you start to focus on lowering your costs as much as possible which means you need to commoditize your your offering such that you know it's the same over and over and over and over again, and so optimization and a lack of um, we're not having any screw-ups or not having any uh, imperfectly or non-spec materials is the focus, that you're looking for that six sigma, right? You're 99.999% right every single time. That's how you get a great, perfect, consistent product, except when you can make it consistent, anybody can make it consistent and suddenly it's a race for the bottom. How fast can you lower your prices because you're just a commodity? I mean, if you're going to go buy sugar at the grocery store, do you buy a name brand sugar? Does it matter if it's Domino or if it's grocery store? Uh, here in the States, Domino is a brand. Uh, I think they only do sugar and I think they're famous for having a huge plant out in Baltimore, uh, which was mentioned in the wire and I don't know why I had to mention that. But anyway, And you can tell just how good the coffee is today. Is the sugar at Domino better than the sugar at the grocery store? No, it's a commodity. And you're really just going, oh, look, that's three cents less a pound. I will buy the cheapo stuff. That's no way to be. When it comes to hiring and recruiting and being a company, that's no way to be. And so much of the tools we are being offered in the recruitment marketing employer brand space are about optimizing for now, focusing on how do we lower costs to get exactly what we want now? How do we become a commodity? And I hate that. I think that's no way to be. I've made a joke in forums about... Employer brand doesn't need a big budget. It doesn't need a million dollars to do something. If you've got a great brand, if you've got a great sense of who you are, you just need some dry erase markers or some sidewalk chalk to kind of spell it out to people. You don't need a huge thing. But so many companies are here to say, oh, this is 15,000, or oh, this is 50,000, or oh, this is 150,000. And they say, this is how you promote. And people say, okay, well, a million other companies have done that, so I guess I will too. And suddenly it's about how do you optimize your process using that tool. It's not about thinking strategically. It's about being tool-focused instead of brand-focused. And I think that's a horrible way to do it. Next, what would happen if you asked every employee if they would choose to work here? if they knew what then what they knew now. Oh, this is a good one. This is a terrifying question that should be on every single company's pulse surveys or uh, employee engagement surveys or whatever the heck you call it. And that is, hey, if you knew then what you knew now, would you still take this job? No one's going to do that. You know why? Because it's terrifying. Because God forbid anyway, say no. Because suddenly you realize exactly how em- how engaged your employees truly are. So many of our questions assume that you kind of mostly like it. It's questions like, hey, in five years, would you still work here? That's not based on the company. That's based on a million factors. And it's very easy for an executive to say, oh, um, only 70% of the people see him themselves in here in five years. That's a pretty good number, except they know that there's no way that 70% of these people are going to be here in five years given turnover given trends in in hiring and, 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 and mobility there's no way and they think oh 70% that's a pretty good number because it's insane because it's absolutely insane or if people say oh 30% that's a problem you can say yes but it's because they expect to get MBAs and degrees and other experience to get jobs that we don't offer so it's okay that they go out the door it's a nice safe number it doesn't scare you into doing anything it doesn't scare you into, into action a question like this that says if you knew then what you knew now would you and even think of taking this job that's terrifying because that is a litmus test that is a gut punch of a question that is a not even messing around would you take this job that is a raw question and no one ever wants to use it and i really wish we would and that includes myself i really wish i could convince people at my day job to do that Branding, employer brand yields a premium, allowing you to punch above your weight in the hiring world, right? Isn't that the value of employer branding more than anything else? And I was just at Talent Brand Summit and we talked about how do you measure the ROI of employer brand in all the different ways and there's all sorts of great metrics and I'm a big fan of duration and seat as everybody knows, or duration of empty seat as by now you figured out. But the other one really is. And if there's a way to measure it, that'd be great. But the ultimate value of employer brand is that you get to punch above your weight right? If you're a company of a hundred people, on the face of it, there's no way you could compete for talent at Google. Right, or Facebook or Amazon or Apple or any of the big companies that seem to throw money at people because you're like, I can't afford to throw money at my people. I can't compete. But if you have an amazing brand, you can. If you are Sephora and you're dedicated in being women first, you can hire women away from those companies. Even though you're probably spending less money per person, people are taking a pay cut to be in a place surrounded by other people who are women, who are building a community they care about, and the organization is women first. That is worth taking a pay cut for. If you can figure out what it is that you offer that is worth taking a pay cut for, amplifying it, that's an employer brand that allows you to punch above your weight. Employer brand says the money's not important, right? That's the core of the employer brand. Now how you measure it? I have no idea, but it's a note and I wrote it down and now you get to know it. Um, A great employer brand directs the prospect to consider something more. I'm literally reading these and going, what the hell did I mean by that? And that is to say, you need to think about the opportunities outside the obvious. So <laughs> for a long, 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 long time, and again, I'm old. I'm coming on 46. I'm 46 now? 45? I don't know how old I am. Oh my goodness. I think I'm 45, 46, whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, and I've been in this industry. I've been doing recruiting and, and been around recruiters for so long. I know a time in which every developer and everybody who knew IT said, oh, I want to work for an IT company well does that mean a bank no does that mean a hospital no does that mean a large uh, um, you know company does that mean um, AT&T no I want to work for a, a tech company that back when AT&T was about phones right But those companies need IT and development support just as much as Microsoft and Netflix and all those other companies. The problem is, is people in the tech space want tech companies. If you have an amazing employer brand, it allows people to consider companies and spaces and industries that were not. Obvious to them, right? Every kid coming out of college in the last ten years has sent a resume to Google just in case, because you never know. No one ever gets that call, but you never know, and so they think, "Oh, that's a company I want to be at." That's the obvious company, and you can insert Facebook or you can insert, God help you, Snapchat or maybe one of any number of companies that every college kid seems to want to work for. They shoot that resume and they say, "Hope for the best," and none of them ever get that call. How do you get them into a hospital? How do you get them into a startup? How do you get them into a bank? How do you get them into a financial institution? How do you get them? How do you get them into a franchise healthcare space? That's called employer brand. That's what it's all about. All right. The invisible employer brand. Do you need to state your employer brand? I'm still wrestling with this one. This is a freebie. If you think this is interesting like I think this is interesting, speak up. But so much of employer brand is about, okay, we're coming up with our EVP and we're going to spell it out and we're going to stick it in a binder and it's going to have some pillars and we put it also in the binder too and everybody in the company is supposed to know what that EVP and those pillars are and then we turn that into a tagline or a communication strategy or brand architecture whatever the hell you think it is, something publicly facing and maybe it's a logo and who cares. Do you have to? I I, at Talent Brand Summit, I bumped into Allison over at SAS. Hey, Allison, how you doing? Uh, And I was was actually saying, look, you know, I've mentioned you or your company rather a couple of times in the podcast, and I said, what is it like to be doing employer brand, and what effectively is the most old school of employer brand success story, and that is SAS. And we've talked about it before. This is a company in Cary, North Carolina, that they don't pay very well necessarily; they pay median or maybe slightly below median, but the amount of care they take in their employees that there's a gym on site that there's a laundry service on site that you can just stitch your name in the gym your gym shorts and when you're done with the gym you throw them in the hamper and they wash them and they fold them and they stick them in your locker and so it's ready for the next day that there's child care on service and health care on service and food and all the stuff that you could ever possibly want at 5:30, they close up the doors and you're not allowed to be at work right they care about the employees that's That That was so famous that Fast Company talked about them in the 90s, back before anybody knew what the hell employer brand was in this country. They said, this is a company that cares about X, and they do everything about X. And I said, what is it like to manage an employer brand in a company where everybody where invented or was the face of employer brand in this country for so long? She says, it's hard. Because... Everybody knows who you are already. You don't have to reestablish it again, right? And I don't want to get into our conversation. It was a pretty short conversation, but it, it, it sparks in me this idea of, do you need to project it? Do you simply need to say, and you think back to SAS when they first started, they said, We don't have to advertise that we have amazing benefits. Why? Because our employees should be advertising that fact for us. Our recruiters should be advertising that fact for us. You say, hey, would you like to talk to SaaS? Who? Never heard of you. Well, it's this company that does this, but let me tell you what's special about us. Benefit, benefit, perk, perk, perk. Oh, really? 530? Close the doors every single day? You do laundry on the certain—the chugger on site? Yeah, sure, I'll talk to you. Bam. Is there an EVP that has to be stated? Maybe not. Maybe it's simply the culture, the core of who this company is. Fast forward 20 years, here we are now, and do you need to compete with the 18 to 20 million businesses in North America alone? Do you need to have a stated employer brand? And I don't know that you do, but I don't know that you don't. So it's a question I have lingering. This is How do you connect with, align to, and communicate out your employer brand without having an employer brand? Can it be done? And I still wonder about that. But, you know, here we go. This is the Kitchen Sink episode. How long does your employer brand live? Whoa. <laughs> uh, in the case of Sask, at least 20 years, apparently. Um yeah how how often do you have to refresh that how often do you have to go back to the well and say who are we now what are we all about that's an open question I don't have any other notes other than have we thought about that has, does anybody have any research on that has anybody have any experience with that and of having to change their employer brand on a regular basis there's a great example currently happening right now in the name of Uber where a year ago they were company non grata for anybody who was not a total dude bro or not a screaming asshole hi how you doing um, sorry if you worked there, but you were a bunch of screaming assholes, and you know it, so don't deny it. Not you, Maybe not you personally, but that's what your company was. Anyway, uh, Dara's trying to turn it around, and he's doing an okay job. He still had a couple of bumps along the way where he's been a kind of a jerk to people uh, in the press in a way that says, Hey, you know the perception you're trying to turn around. That's not helping. Um, but how long does it live, and how, long, how often do you need to change it? Does it require a kind of crisis before you have to turn it around, before you have to invest it and figure out what you need to do next? It's an open question. This is a, this is a note, and this is one of those things where you're like, i got to think about this more. The smaller the company, the more important your employer brand is. Okay, here's what I'm thinking. If you're a Fortune 200 company, whatever you want to call it, a big, massive brand, And maybe this is true on the consumer side. If you have a broadly known consumer brand, you don't really need to spell out your employer brand. Look at Google. For a long, 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 long time, everybody wanted to work there, not because of the M&Ms and the food and all that stuff, but because they used great tools. They were talking 15, 20 years ago, back before they were spending lavishly on people, back before they had every perk under the sun, but they were trying something new, and they were willing to, to try something, and they were very... Public about the whole. Everybody gets twenty percent of their time to do whatever project they want. A, pro, a a policy that I don't think is still in place for the most part. Um, does that surprise you? Yeah, right. Um, if you're a big enough company, if you're a famous enough company, if you have enough consumers, do you need an employer brand? If an employer brand is there to help punch above your weight, at what point are you so big that there's nobody bigger than you to punch? Right. If you're you're the heavyweight champion of the world, you don't need an advantage. You're the heavyweight champ, right? You're doing great. Facebook does not need an advantage. Facebook is doing fine stealing people away from other companies by throwing money at them, right? So, what, is an employer brand more important for smaller, non, less public, less consumer-focused companies? And I think it is. And I only say that because this only connects to me because so many people I interact with, both on this podcast and in conferences and in webinars, they don't come from Google. They don't come from Facebook. They don't come from the massive companies who don't really need a lot of help. They come from hospitals and trucking companies and uh, dental franchises and, 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 and. These companies that most people never heard of that probably have a commercial once every blue moon, if, if at all. how The employer brand is more important to them than it is to Google. That's just what I wanted to put out there. All right, we're more than halfway done, so let me check in the time. 26 minutes, good Lord. If you're all hanging in there, bless you. Thank you. Let's keep it going. Your job is to make people care first, the sales come second. And that is to say, if people people if you force the sale on someone, in this case, when you talk about from the recruiter standpoint, if you force the, the job on them and you've, convert them and you persuade them and you cajole them into taking more information, you're going to have a limited value. If you're focused purely on closing, there's only so much impact you can have. But if your job, instead of saying, I need to change my closing rate from 50% to 70%, but if instead you said, my job is to make people care first, well, that's a whole different way of looking at recruiting, recruitment, marketing, employer brand. That is to say, when I say my job is to make people care first, what are they caring about? Who would care about it? Why would they care about it? And if you can answer those questions, suddenly the conversation changes. You're not cajoling people into showing up for phone screeners. You're not cajoling people and begging people to show up to interviews and maybe considering this offer and maybe taking a 5% pay raise and to move to wherever the hell to take this potential job where you're you know you're begging people to kind of make this change. What if you said, I need you to care about this idea, whether it's an idea about themselves, whether it's an idea that's external to everybody. If you can care about this idea and this is why you care about this idea, we're the kind of company you want to talk to. And once you get people to care, the sales happens automatically. The the conversion, the recruiting, the, the job acceptance happens automatically. Quick interruption. The goal here is to change the conversation around recruiting, hiring, and employer brand. The only way we can achieve that goal is with your help. And that is not with money, not with sponsorship. No, 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 no. It's to just simply share us, and review us simple as that just review us wherever you get podcasts share us on social media say nice things about us or complain about us that really is completely fair Uh, that's all we really ask that's all thanks so much for joining us and uh, let's get back to the show okay there's only a couple bullets left and this kind of ties into what I said earlier. What happens when everyone is an exception, right? We talked about this idea that we've automated all these processes and uh, all the easy problems are solved. What happens when there's no longer a spec sheet? What happens when there's no longer a standard person to take a job? If you can find a standard process for sales or recruiting or, 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 guess what? Bot's going to do it in the next five years. Bye right? You get that, right? If, if, this, if you do the exact same interview process every single time, why not throw it to a bot? Why not video record it, speed through it, have the bot listen in, listen for particular words, find stuff, find people automatically. They can listen to a million people instead of a recruiter who can only listen to a certain number of people a given day. Suddenly, you can cast your net far wider, and you know anything that might be lost in, effic- in effectiveness or uh, efficiency will get returned doubly in the in the in the value of reach, right, In value of quality, quantity. Um, <clears throat> if that's the case, the way we're going. That's fine if you always want cogs. If you're looking for the cheapest cog, if you're looking for the most cog-like cog, that's an easy thing to do. But when we're all moving towards a world in which we are all in some way artists, we are all in some way weirdos, we are all in some way focused on this thing. And I think anybody who's successful at their jobs is a weirdo, is a strange artist, is someone who has that little twinge of obsessiveness to say, I really care about making sure this project product role, process, whatever it is, outcome, is the best it can be. That's who you want to hire and that is the only person you want to hire. Someone who cares so much about the outcome that they put that much more effort into it. Right? That's who you want. How do you find that when you're just looking for a cog? Just putting that out there, just thinking about it. Um, Talent is a moving target. I think I sort of touched on this a long time ago. If I'm hiring person X today, that is a very, that kind of model is very transactional. That is to say, if I'm looking for a salesperson or a lawyer or a risk analyst or a business analyst or a business, whatever, I don't care. If you're looking for someone who does X today and you're optimized optimizer on, they need to be the best person who can do X today because what we do today is X. And you don't think, what am I doing tomorrow? Who are you hiring? You need to find someone who can move into Y or whatever that new model is. You know that in the next year your business analyst is going to go from Excel and and do do deep dives in Tableau and some other really complicated data analytics tools. You better be asking if they know Tableau. You better be asking how quickly they can learn Tableau. But that stuff doesn't come up. What you're doing, what everybody tends to do, and I'm painting with an insanely broad brush, right, is that you're focused on what is the job today? We wrote this job description. We're going to measure people against this job description, which is a snapshot of what is today. But the second we took the snapshot, by the way, the validity of that snapshot started to decay very quickly uh, and almost instantaneously, and suddenly it's shifting. And the speed at which jobs change is getting faster and faster recruiters notwithstanding, um, because let's be fair, recruiters still do, with the exception of sourcing tools and Google, recruiters do the exact same job as they did 50 years ago. For the most part, I'm painting with a broad brush. I love my recruiters, but let's be fair, your, your, your industry hasn't changed very much. So if you know the world is changing, how do you hire someone for the future? And the answer is you hire Artists, you hire weirdos, you stop running the job description checklist and you start thinking, who is amazing? You start collecting talent, not hiring for a checklist, right? Uh, employer branding is deep branding. And I put deep branding in quotes. Uh, <laughs> Again, not all these ideas are winners. It's just where my head was. Um, this idea that, I think I'm stealing this from Simon, Simon Burroughs to some extent, who to, for all pur- all intents and purposes um, invented the concept of employer brand, um, said, Here's the trick about employer brand and why it's different and harder from product branding is that in the end, I sell you product X and you don't like it. That's a choice, and maybe you don't tell anybody, or maybe you're like, okay, it didn't quite fit, it just wasn't quite as advertised. Meh. If I sell you a job and you now have to live with that thing for a year, I can't lie. I can't pretend that you're gonna be an amazing or you're gonna have an amazing time when this is going to be a slog of a job. Because the second you show up, you're like, this isn't amazing, this is a slog of a job. You had better understand that brand inside an you could better have it deeply embedded in people's souls, right? You have a better connect it not just to the the now and the acceptance and the job application, which unfortunately so much of what we do is measured against this transactional. Yeah, sure, I guess. And of course, we're you know investing so much in tools that make it that process easier. We're making it easier for people to apply. We're making that 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 runway to the application or runway to the job offer as slippery as possible, so people naturally glide to that. And then we're shocked when our acceptance rates are forty or fifty percent. It's like, well, we didn't pre-screen them out early on in the beginning. We didn't promote who our brand truly was at the beginning. When it mattered, we started to sell, sell, sell at day one, and one was shocked when they look around and say, you know, this isn't what I was sold at the moment of offer or worse, after. And they say, yeah, I'm not going to do this. You have to get deeper with employer brand. It has to connect at a deeper level than I chose product X over product Y, Ford versus uh, Toyota, Coke versus Pepsi, right? Uh, employer... Oh, oh man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm giggling at myself because I remember writing this one. Employee experience is a lie except when it isn't. Well, gosh. <laughs> the coffee is delicious and I can't believe I write some of this stuff. That means nothing except in my head it made some sort of sense. Okay. Why do people work? Is it to get a paycheck? Well, if that's true, employee experience is crucial because you can get a paycheck anywhere employer experience is the thing you have to put on top of salary to make the salary make more sense however there's something bigger than that that we ignore and that is purpose right whether it's group purpose personal purpose uh mission purpose if the purpose is more clear The experience doesn't have to be as important. In fact, what happens is the more clear the purpose of the company, the person is, the less important the employer experience is. How do I know? I look at teachers and I look at Marines. I look at people who get shot at on a regular basis and I look at people who get paid crap every day but show up every single day. These are people who decided, look, hey, people who join armed forces, they're not lavished with uh, lush and, and, and luxe accommodations and great salaries and great perks. They have crappy, crappy perks, and it's not an easy place to be, and it's not a hard, it's not a wonderful place to be. Overall, the employer experience is pretty bad. It's It's probably near dismal, and yet people still do it. And in fact, people love to do it. Why? Because there's a purpose involved. I saw this in a nonprofit sector a million years ago when it turns out that, okay, I'm willing to take a little less money. and I'm willing to work on a slightly less good computer. I'm willing to take a job in an office where it's not as bright and sunny, but I'm working alongside people who are similarly motivated by the ultimate goal, and that's what matters. What people want is impact, and that and the employer experience is a patina we put on to polish things up when we can't provide the purpose. Now, if you're working at the gap, you working at Burger King or McDonald's, or you working on some sort of basic retail commoditized job, you're right. Employee experience is everything because selling a sweater or selling a burger is not a purpose. It's a job. If what you're selling is a job, employee experience is crucial. If what you're selling is something bigger than a job, employee experience is almost unnecessary. Fight me. I'm not kidding. Bring it. I got that one. All right. Uh, two more. Um, Employees want to love that job. Oh, I'm sorry. Employees want to love their jobs, right? Can we just assume that everybody who wants a job wants to love their job? Now go look at the data that shows how many people actually love their job. It boggles the mind. People want to. This isn't. This isn't something you have to foist on people. You, you shouldn't have to persuade people to love their job. And yet, somehow, so few people do. That should just indicate how crappy a job companies are doing. And let's go ahead and say all of our companies, and I'll you know throw in with that too, how crappy a job every company is doing reminding people that they should and can love their job. This is a low bar. People come in wanting the ice cream and we can't sell them ice cream. There's something horribly, horribly wrong, and that's exactly what we're seeing. Last one. Uh, you know what? Actually, this that was the last one. That one I've already done. Um, double-checking my list while I'm talking, which is kind of funny to do. Um, Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, last one. Yeah, here it is. Uh, <laughs> this is for my friends in social recruiting, and we talk about when we focus on social recruiting. We talk about who's your competition. So you get on Glassdoor, you get on LinkedIn, and you buy packages. They'll say, "Okay, tell us who your co- competition is, and we will benchmark you against them." Which is kind of nice, I guess, if that's useful to you. Uh, and for most days, for me, it isn't particularly. But I, you know, I get, I get it, I get it. And then you turn to Facebook and you turn to Twitter and now we're really, you should be turning to Instagram. The question is, okay, if your competition is Verizon or AT&T or Delta or Southwest, many of those people were at South at talent summit, hey, how you doing? Um, If you think your, your professional competition and recruiting competition is Southwest or Delta or United, who is your competition on United or on Instagram? It's not Southwest, Delta, or United. People don't say, I'm going to pick one airline career Instagram to follow and follow it. It's not about picking Coke versus Pepsi. It's not about Mac versus PC. What your re- your real competition, is a Kardashian your real competition? Is a really uh, sexy ad thrown on Instagram that it's a Jeep or that it's a uh, a clothing line? Or I, for me, I get shoes a lot and I get watches a lot, and you can tell exactly what I I lust after in my browsing time on my own. You're not competing against other career brands or employer brands you're competing for attention against brands designed to collect and grab attention right there are great brands all birds or uh, uh, um was it giant Is it giant i can't remember what called this this uh, i get this um sweatshirt i think it's giant i can't remember. Um, I get the I get these ads all the time and they're gorgeous. they're super attractive. I mean think of every brand in L or Esquire or GQ or Glamour or Cosmo selling clothes and jewelry and shoes should be easy. Those things are beautiful things cars those should be beautiful things they're easy They're designed quite literally to attract attention that, is your competition for your employer brand on those social channels. We are deluding ourselves if we pretend that if we're Delta, our competition is Southwest or United or vice versa. Our real competition is DJ Khalid or Khaled or whatever his name is, a guy who says key all the time who's apparently no friend to women. I'm going to leave you to Google that if you want. Um, That's your competition. It's idiots getting kicked in the in the in the happies by a football, right? People who do stupid stuff on Snapchat. That is your competition, if you can believe it. I'm. I'm I- <laughs> For some reason, I feel like the last person on Snapchat. If you go and look at Snapchat and you look at the channels they foist on you, are those not the worst human beings or at least the worst impulses in people? How often can I see news about Justin Bieber and and people like Justin Bieber? I do not care. I have never cared. I will never care. And yet, that is the thing Snapchat thinks I want to see all the time. That is your competition. Because those are things that are shiny and pretty and interesting and that kind of People Magazine, TMZ kind of, hey, look, everybody, celebrity did thing X, Y, or Z. That's your competition. Raise your bar and that's the only way you're going to succeed. If you think you're winning because you're beating another brand inside your sector, you're wrong. All right. How am I doing on time? That was a lot of time. Oh, 40 minutes. It's a long one. I haven't had one this long in a long time. So... That was everything. That was all my notes. So I'm going So uh, if anybody's watched um, right after Seinfeld uh, finished. Jerry Seinfeld did a big tour and a big special and the joke was he was telling these jokes the last time that he was doing a lot of who are these people and have you ever noticed he flushed them all down. He got rid of them. He did a bit where he buried them. Uh, he quite literally buried them in a funeral ses- session and that's how I think about this. Like, okay, those are my ideas. Maybe one or two will pop back up in a different way we can argue about them. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it on Twitter or Facebook channels and forums I know you're, you're connected with me on and whatnot. Uh, Email me, find me, whatever. I'm on LinkedIn. You know where I am. I want to get rid of all these ideas. Spend the next two months, kind of clean slating it, coming up with a fresh approach. Thinking about what we want to be talking about. Thinking about what we should be talking about. Kind of recharge the batteries, and hit it, hit the ground running. Some of that, I'm sorry, falls on you. That is to say, ask me questions, challenge me, challenge my thinking, challenge anything I said today or ever in the podcast. The handful of people who've done this, I. I respect and appreciate and value so tremendously you wouldn't believe it. I thank you to the utmost degree. Uh, that This is how we all get better, right? If the if the purpose of this podcast is for everybody to learn, I need you to tell me what you want to learn or tell me you the challenge you're facing or you to, to, to speak up. If nothing else, raise your hand and speak up. That's what I'm asking from you. In the meantime, for the next two months, I might blog or I might pop up here and there. I'm going to be in Austin. Uh, I'm not dead. I'm definitely not going to be off Twitter and on my on my forum. So f- reach out to me. Say hello. Let's have a conversation. Help me get great so that episodes 86 through 100 and beyond are amazing because that's all I really want from, you know, from this thing. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to review me. Ping me on Twitter and all that good stuff. I will talk to you in maybe let's call it two months. Thanks so much for listening.